The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning and welcome to Tech Check. I'm Julia Borston with Brian Sullivan. Carl, John, and Deirdre are off. CNBC contributor, contributor Joanna Stern from The Wall Street Journal is with us for the whole hour. Let's start with what else? Netflix. Shares crushed this morning on track for their worst loss in about a decade. A re-rating of that stock as its core business model is called into question. Subscribers leaving the service amid increasing competition. And despite those competitors like Apple and HBO taking share, it is dragging down the entire media sector. Today, a seismic shift in how investors view the streaming business. So what's next if you hold this stock or you're thinking about buying it here? What about Disney, Roku, Spotify, the new Discovery? Warner Media, and yes, Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet as well. An ad-supported tier, a crackdown on password sharing, will it all be enough? Brian, I know you subscribe to many of these services. My question for you is, do you think that this is all an inflection point where we're going to see a shift into ad-supported, away from ad-free streaming? I don't know. But I will say this. I think the comedian Jim Gaffigan had it and said it best when he said, why don't all the streaming services just bundle together and we'll call it cable TV? And I think he nailed it. He said that back, by the way, in mid-January. I mean, you think about that, Joanna and Julia, that there's all these options now. When Netflix built the streaming business, and it did, and kudos to Reed Hastings. They were, remember, a DVD by mail company. They went streaming. They built the model. But as Laura Martin of Needham, one of the few, by the way, who've actually gotten it right, has said they weren't able or are not adapting and adopting like some of the later entrants into the game. What do we got? Let's go through the ways, right, Joanna? HBO Max, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, Peacock, Hulu, ESPN Plus. I'm probably leaving a few out. The consumer choice and that dollar total every month for the middle class family just seems to be getting extreme and Netflix seems to be the big loser here. Yeah, and I think I think we should have a drinking game on this show. How many times we say bundle in the next hour? Because I think that is core to this. I think we see, we look at the other competitors, right? You've got the Apples, you've got the Amazons. What they've hit on there is a bundle. People feel like they are getting free content because they are paying for Prime or they're paying for Apple One or they bought an iPhone. And suddenly Netflix has started to seem not as palatable for people, right? $20 at the highest end for streaming content. And I, and I, I think we also will be talking about sort of the content versus cost equation here. Who is winning on both of those? And yeah, you know, I think uh, you know, what, is the, what is the number of streaming services we're all willing to pay for? Well, yeah, maybe is- we also that will be part of the drinking game. Yeah, yeah. What is the number of streaming services? I mean, I was just blown away by Netflix saying that in addition to the 222 million subscribers they have to the service, there are an additional 100 million households that are watching Netflix for free through that 
password sharing that for so many years Reed Hastings said he was not worried about. Now they are going to be cracking down on that, trying to figure out how to get those 100 million people to spend money. But I also just want to point out, Brian, this really makes Peacock, CNBC's uh, sister company uh, at NBC Universal, seem smart for focusing on ad-supported streaming. Paramount Plus has an ad-supported tier, as does HBO Max. Disney rushing into this ad-supported game. They haven't launched theirs yet, but they will by the end of this year. I guess we have to find out if this is going to be too late for Netflix to get in with a lower-cost ad-supported tier. I, I do love the plug, the peacock plug, Julia. Thank you. Well, let's talk about all this and dive in a little bit deeper because your first guest this hour took Netflix from a buy all the way down to an underperform. Wall Street speak for sell. That is a rare double downgrade. With the analysts saying that 2024 is simply too long a wait for a, quote, show me story. That analyst is Bank of America's Nat Schindler and joins us now. Nat, listen, I'm not going to bury you because pretty much everybody got it wrong. I mean, people had $600, $650 price targets, and now we've got a stock that's in the mid $200. If you had to point to one or two things, what the heck happened? With Netflix, I mean, the company is, or at least the stock, has imploded since its October 31st high. Thank you for having me. Really what happened is the company told a narrative to the street, which, given the data we could see, made sense. That was, this company was adding mid-20 million subs per year, going to targeting a Total addressable market of 800 million broadband households would have growth for years. And what happened in 2020 is it bumped it up to 36 million subs in a year because of the pandemic. That was just a pull forward of 2021. And then it would be back to normal after a slightly weaker 2021 as those new subs that churned at a higher rate churned out. That was their narrative. The problem was, is they should have known that was wrong. We couldn't because we couldn't see the gross sub ads. We couldn't see who was churning, were it these, was it these new people or not. We couldn't see that, but they could have. And they told that story. So either they didn't understand their business or they were kind of hiding something from us. But neither looks good for the company. And what it seems to you. have happened Nat, is they started into in. the end of their growth. I want to go into that, okay? I've been doing this 25 years. I've never seen a company with co-CEOs do well. I'll just throw that out there. Two men in charge, two people in charge, two whatever it is, has never worked, at least as far as I can remember. If somebody else has a great example of one that worked, please send it in on the Twitter. Happy to report it. I will say this. Are you suggesting that Reed Hastings knowingly hid something from Wall Street analysts? No, I don't know if he, well, I have no idea. Uh, it just seems to me that they should have been able to tell the difference that we couldn't have told. Um, the difference between hitting the end of your growth and hitting a aberration caused by COVID. It seems that COVID didn't pull forward a year. It pulled forward five years. And if that's the case, why couldn't they have seen that? Um, and right now, they're basically conceding on their call last night, virtually every bear story that has been on this stock for the last two years. 
Yeah, Nat, I'm curious just to look ahead for this company, though. They admitted what had gone wrong. They talked about what went wrong this quarter, and they've talked about it in past quarters in terms of the impact of this pull forward. But going forward, the expectation that Netflix is going to lose 2 million subs in Q2, maybe things will get better after that. But what do you think in terms of this ad-supported model? Does Netflix need to buy a company to be able to quickly ramp up an ad business and get that product out there? Uh, I'm... Obviously, ad-supported models have worked. Uh, Hulu's bringing in something on $3 billion in ad uh, revenue. But the problem with Netflix doing ad-supported revenue is they have very high penetration in these high ad-value markets, the U.S., U.K. Those markets where you can really make money from ad-supported, they already have high penetration, very high penetration. And if you believe this, the... Uh, combined numbers with the with the password sharing virtually a hundred percent, and if they have that, then their ad supporting model will likely just cannibalize the rest in those markets. And if you add it into other markets like India and Malaysia and other markets around the world where the penetration is low and the 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 countries are not as wealthy, they're just not very good ad markets. So I don't see that as a savior for this company. Um, uh, hopefully it can reaccelerate growth a couple points, but it's not going to make things like they were. And it's certainly not going to put them back on the trajectory that they were talking about with an 800 million uh, total addressable market of households. Nat, I wanted to, I joked at the top of the show about bundles. And when we think about what saves some of the cable companies, it was bundles. When we look at what's happening with the tech companies, bundles are working really well for the services uh, sides of some of these tech companies. What about that here? Is there is there any optimism about Netflix getting into some of these other spaces, whether it be gaming content, virtual reality? I mean, it's farther off. It's not what the street needs to hear today, but maybe sort of future outlook. Uh, I mean, they're all possible. They're all different forms of entertainment. The problem is they're expensive. So getting into gaming in a way that would be meaningful, not in a way that is, you know, some mobile games that are basically marketing for your TV shows, which is what they've mostly done to date. Um, that's expensive. Electronic Arts and Activision spent a lot of money on these games. Getting into virtual reality, very expensive, um, as we can see in what Meta is investing in the area. So. Is it going to be something that can not only reinvigorate growth, but it also has to reinvigorate growth while reinvigorating margins to make the street happen? You know, Nat, final question is this. If I've owned the stock for more than four years or less than four years, rather, I've probably lost money on that investment in Netflix. Maybe I bought it late last year and I'm literally down 50, 60 percent. What do I do? Do I hold on and hope? Do I sell, take my loss? Do I buy more and thinking maybe this is the bottom? What do I do? Well, calling bottoms and tops is extremely difficult. And I, I know it's sort of my job, but I, I, I don't have that level of precision. That said, there are no catalysts for the story near term. The company was quite clear that their, their methods to reaccelerate growth really weren't going to come until 2024. So you're looking at margins being flat this year and next. The company was clear about that with growth being <coughs> similarly weak this year and next. Um, do, is it possible that they 
were overly conservative in Q2's 2 million net mm-hmm. sub loss, and it ends up being better on the backs of a strong Stranger Things or something of that order, possible. But everybody thought that on the 2.5 million guide for Q1 and their, you know, ex-Ukraine yeah. and the Russia uh, shutoff, they were only at, they were at 0.5 million. So it doesn't look like it. And seasonally, it doesn't look yeah. like it either. So I, I don't think there's going to be anything that really will drive the stock near term. Well, maybe they got some tricks up their streaming sleeve, Nat, and they'll come out with some great hits, some new House of Cards or Stranger Things or whatever we have seen. Stranger Things. Nat Schindler, Bank of America Securities. Nat, appreciate it. Thank you. Julia. Thank you. So how did Netflix manage to get to this point where it's lost over a third of its market cap in one day? It's now worth less than $100 billion. So what does this mean for the competition? Matthew Ball joins us now. He founded the Metaverse ETF and was former head of strategy for Amazon Studios. Matt, thanks for joining us. Before you were the Metaverse expert, you were the expert in the streaming wars. And I'm so curious to, to hear what you think about how these Netflix numbers might reflect on Netflix's competition. Do you think that the other streamers have gained market share, or do you think we're going to see them all report lower sub-numbers this quarter? I think we can tell that there's some compression or slowing to growth as we get out of the pandemic. It's important to emphasize that the tailwinds lasted a lot longer than we anticipated. You can go back to the second quarter of 2020, and Reed had said Q3 is going to be light during a pull-forward. Q3 was huge. Q4 was huge. Most of the next year was still significant, even as Disney lightened in Q1 of 2021. So we should expect a slowing. The more important thing is, as a strategist and a former competitor to Netflix, first mover advantages, recommendations, scale, all of those matter a ton. But ultimately, this is a content game. And I think consumers and certainly analysts are right to say that Netflix's quality of content has not met the mark in contrast to its peers over the past three years. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that quality of content question. You wrote a lot about this, uh, some fascinating essays about these streaming wars and content spend. Netflix is spending a ton on content, but there's this question of how they're spending it. What do you make of these high-profile deals they've made with content creators such as Shonda Rhimes, and also the fact that they don't have a lot of that IP, those, those characters and franchises that have proven so valuable to rivals such as Disney+. Plus. They don't have the intellectual property. That's a solvable problem. But if we saw through last year, there were a number of high-profile attempts. Jupiter's Legacy was canceled, I believe, within three weeks after its premiere. Cowboy Bebop, another signature release, also canceled within 30 days. The problem is that spending is a bit of a red herring. And you can see this from the fact that in 10 years, we will still be re-watching the $200 million first season of The Mandalorian. That is properly capitalized content investments. But when Netflix spends $250 million on Jupiter's legacy and it's canceled within 30 days, not only is it a disappointment, but that's just OPEX. It's out the door. It does not have residual value. And so there's both a lack of intellectual property, but also poor capitalization for the investment they're making today. Matthew, I I was reading one of your great essays last night, and you talked a lot about sort of that backlog of content and how that could keep down the churn and how that keeps customers, and as you were just saying, keeps customers on the platform. 
though Netflix has lost a considerable amount of that to some of the competitors. How are you looking at that? And how do you, is, is that another direction that Netflix starts to go in, beefing up again on some of that backlog of content, though the licensing, who knows if, if, if people want to give it back to them? I think the challenge with that is most third-party estimates show that Netflix has outstanding churn, roughly 25 to 2.8% per month, Disney Plus sitting at 45 it's lagging peers at 6 to 8%. It's hard for the churn to get much lower. The problem is 2.5% on their subscribers is still significant, and if growth slows, you're going to see persistent declines. We know what solves for growth. It is high-quality TV. Reed is right to talk about 800 million ex-China pay TV homes. Eventually, a billion is the consensus among many, such as former Warner Media CEO Jason Kyler. But those people are going to come in from new original content. And that's where the supply has become more yep. scarce. And HBO Max, Disney are outstanding right now. Matt, Netflix built the business and they have succeeded wildly, even with today's move. So I don't want to slam totally them too agree. much because they created this industry. That said, let's slam them a bit because did they kind of ruin their own model with this binging aspect? The thing I think HBO Max has done very well is that they have still created appointment TV. If I want to watch whatever, The Flight Attendant, it rolls out once a week. I can watch it after it airs, but it's kind of the white lotus, that suspense. If I want to watch the entire season of Peaky Blinders in one drunken day, I can do it and then cancel my subscription. Do they need to rethink this binging idea? I would say that they've already started to do that. You can take a look at Arcane, their Riot Games partnership last year, one of their most successful titles ever, one of the biggest globally. They did that in three consecutive Friday drops. They've said that Stranger Things is coming in batches, Grace and Frankie coming in batches. They're doing this. They're testing this. Reed proved yesterday, and he has before with games, that they'll flex to what seems to be right. I think we're going to get to the weekly model. So, Matt, I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of things like games, though. As they try to do things other than streaming, they're investing in games, they're investing in these live event experiences, they're charging attendance for these events, and then also consumer products. How are these three new business lines going to help Netflix? And ultimately, do you think they'll make a move into the metaverse since now that's your area of focus? Well, I think it's important to recognize that, first of all, franchises are strengthened by all ancillary applications, not just in revenue, but most importantly, in fandom. Star Wars started as a thing in 1977 when we went to the movies 10 times in a summer, but it really became an institution by kids in the basement or in the backyard swinging a stick and imagining that they were Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker. Bringing that to consumer products, to podcasts, to narrative, interactive and games, VR and otherwise, is essential to solving their franchise problem and to building out that flywheel. Whether or not they can make the full pivot into a more game-centric business, that's a decade-long transformation. Wow, a decade-long transformation. Uh, Amazing to to think about how much work is left to be done with Netflix shares down 36%. Matthew Ball, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. 
Let's take a look at another pandemic fad that might be hitting a wall. Food delivery. Just Eat Takeaway is considering selling Grubhub after acquiring the delivery company for more than $7 billion just last year. The company now facing investor pressure, saying they're exploring a strategic partner on top of the potential sale. In other words, all options are on the table. Shares higher this morning on the news that they might be cutting bait despite Just Eat cutting its guidance for the year. That stock now up 2.5%. Total orders last quarter were also down 1% year over year. All right, on deck here on Tech Check, the minute by minute of that disaster of the day, of course, that is Netflix. That stock is down about 35% right now. We're going to bring you everything you need to know going forward. Wow, look at that. Plus, big tech has been beaten up all year. Mike Santoli is here next with whether a bottom is in. That's next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Netflix dragging down the Nasdaq this morning as tech across the board takes a beating. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here with a look at the broader picture. Mike? Yeah, Julia, the Nasdaq actually maybe you could say holding up a little better than might be expected. It's not necessarily a completely across the board decline. Uh, you actually have more Nasdaq stocks in the composite up versus down. Microsoft staying out of harm's way. It's enabling the Nasdaq 100 to maintain what some are seeing as a little bit of a hopeful setup here. You had the stock that basically uh, sort of bottomed where it had to, um, the stock, the index, uh, right around these levels. I would say that's actually a little higher, 14 is really what you want to see hang tough. And that's what's going on all the way back to almost a year ago there. Uh, you've also seen, uh, essentially, it's underperformed, but it's managed to gather strength. And I also always like to point out this low right here, mid-March, the 10-year Treasury yield was 2.13%. Today, it's 2.8-something, and, and the index is up. So this should really get at that idea that the NASDAQ is something a lot more than just the inverse of the 10-year Treasury yield. So at least in a, a longer-term span, there are other factors involved right here. I think you'd say, again, modestly encouraging, but look, the cushion is not very, de uh, very uh, deep right here. You actually have to sort of make or break around these levels to keep this bottoming formation intact, Brian. Oh, Mike, thanks very much. Been a heck of a 2022. All right, everybody. Are you looking to make some money? I mean, who isn't? So check out some of Citigroup's top tech picks today. The names are, well, those are the names. You can get the reasons and more on them on CNBC Pro. Check them out now. As we head to break, the NASDAQ and, of course, Netflix are the big stories. NASDAQ doing okay. Netflix down 36%. We're back after this. 
Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back to Tech Check, everybody. Hope you have a great Wednesday, wherever you may be. I am Brian Sullivan with Julia Borston, along with The Wall Street Journal's Joanna Stern, who is guest hosting this hour. Joanna, good to have you on as well. All right, obviously the NASDAQ, the laggard this morning. Now, semiconductor stocks, they actually are doing okay. They continue to outperform. You got ASML, KLA, all the acronyms. They're topping the gainers here. But what about the biggest decliner in the NASDAQ? Anybody got a guess? It's a company called Netflix. Stock's down 35.5%. It's down 123 bucks a share. It has lost $40 billion in market cap today. We're going to talk more about Netflix coming up and their strategies. But first, let's get a news update with Bertha Coons. Bertha, what's going on? Hey, Brian. Here's what's happening at this hour. We've got existing home sales falling less than expected in March. But that's due in part to a big downward revision for February. The median sales price hit a new record of just over $375,000. Inventories of homes rose from February, but are still down nearly 10% over the last year. Procter & Gamble is one of the biggest gainers in the Dow, the consumer goods giant, getting a boost from strong sales growth despite price increases. However, margins were below estimates. Baker Hughes is trimming some of its losses, now down about 7%. The oilfield services company posted a big earnings miss despite surging oil prices. Speaking of which, the world needs to invest another $1.3 trillion in energy in the next eight years to avoid shortages. This according to J.P. Morgan's first annual energy outlook. Report says energy demand growth will outstrip supply increases by about 20% based on current trends. J.P. Morgan says more fossil fuels will be needed since renewable energy sources will not be able to replace oil and natural gas for years to come. That's a very important issue that people talk a lot about right now, Julia. Back over to you. Absolutely, Bertha. Thanks so much. And as we watch Netflix shares tanking today and the cost of the business catching up to the streamer, we see those shares down 35 percent. Don't forget the giant checks that the streamer has been dishing out to Hollywood. Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy inking multi-million dollar deals with Netflix in recent years. But did Netflix overpay? Here to discuss, Puck News founding partner Matthew Bellany, who is also a former editor of The Hollywood Reporter. Matt, so great to have you here to talk about this. I've been reading your, your newsletter, your articles on this topic. And my question is, what was Netflix's failure? Was it spending too much on these big content deals? Or can it really point to competition as being the real problem? I think both are a factor here, because for the last 10 years, Netflix has operated under the guiding force that spending, spending, spending is going to lead to scale, scale, scale. And in many ways, they got there. They are the industry leader with 222 million 
subscribers around the world, but it has come at a big cost. They are expected to spend about $19 billion a, uh, this year on content. And keep in mind, they don't air sports. So that is all going to creators around the world and people like Shonda Rhimes and Ryan Murphy, who have been extremely expensive. So what happens now? They said in the earnings call that they don't see an opportunity in live sports and news, and they don't think it's worth it to spend it for sports rights, but they do see how doing an ad-supported business could make sense. Aren't they going to have to spend a lot to get the tools they need to launch an ad-supported business? Well, that's the big question, is how they're going to implement it. And launching ad-supported businesses is not that easy. And I think you've got to have an entire infrastructure around that. And you've got to be prepared to share information with your advertisers. And Netflix's big secret over the past decade has been it hoards data. It knows what people are watching and it tailors content for them. And it doesn't share that when it doesn't suit their interests. So they're going to have to be a little bit more transparent if they have an ad business. I was do, I was doing some math last night, and so I, you know I'm paying five dollars for Apple TV, five dollars for Peacock, seven dollars for Hulu, and they all have great content, right? I, I, to me, as a user, I'm paying nearly twenty dollars for Netflix at this point because I want all these plans and everyone in the house to have, be able to stream it. And as a user, I don't know that they're paying more for some of this content. What is going on behind the scenes that? when these 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 streaming networks are competing for this type for the content for for these big box uh, videos for for the big box movies for the series that is that is allowing these other companies to just say hey we'll take it at a cost we'll 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 cut some money off the deal yeah i mean over the past 5 years in particular these streaming wars have led to increased costs for the actual product you hear about bidding wars all the time. And typically those bidding wars are among the streaming services. It's HBO Max, Netflix, Apple, Amazon, the major ones that are trying to essentially get to scale and become the three, possibly four global streaming platforms that survive this era of streaming wars. And it's come at a big cost because to get that major movie, to get the you know $200 million movie, you've got to put up the money and often do it in, in advance because what you're doing with streaming is you're often buying out these talented people from what they would get on the back end. So you're paying even more upfront than you would if you were a traditional studio that does a back end model where you share in the box office. So Matt, look into your crystal ball for us as we look at all of those other streamer stocks plummeting today, not as much as Netflix, but down, dragged down by Netflix's move lower. What are we going to see from the rest of the media business when they report earnings? Are we going to see similar trends? Or do you think that companies like Disney and Warner Media are at an advantage because they didn't fall into this, this binge business model and they were better at drip feeding content so consumers are less likely to, to cut the cord, if you will? I think that's a great question, and I think that the the balance of power is going to shift when we see these other streaming service numbers because Netflix, first of all, was so big, and these others have something that Netflix doesn't, which is, for the most part, they have decades of IP and valuable franchises. Netflix has paid through the nose to try to compete and buy those things and create them, but if you're Disney, you can spend less on content and be really uh, propped up by these franchises. And I think the market perhaps may start to value that a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying they're going to shoot up, but I, I think they're probably going to uh, 
weather this storm a little bit better than, than a company like Netflix. Well, it'll be very interesting to see how the other subscriber numbers of the other streaming services come in this quarter. Matt, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, guys, the biggest loser in the Netflix disaster could be one gentleman by the name of Bill Ackman, or at least his investors. Because remember, back in January, Ackman tweeted that he was buying up Netflix and reportedly gobbling up about 3.1 million shares. So let's do a little bit of math. And I'll I want to say this is all back of the envelope type stuff based on some assumptions that we know about what happened in the days around the buying. Well, when Ackman said he was buying, Netflix would have averaged about $375 a share. So the 3.1 million shares that he reportedly bought would have cost him about $1.16 billion on Netflix by Ackman. Now that stake, assuming Ackman still owns it, would be worth about 735 to 738 million right now for a paper loss of over 400 million dollars in a couple of months. Ouch. Now again, these are rough assumptions, guys, based on the time frames from his tweets and filings. Maybe he sold it before today, but if not, this could be an expensive trade for Ackman and his investors on Netflix. All right, coming up, switching gears, Bitcoin heading higher today, still though well off its all-time highs. And after the break, do not miss a tech check on crypto with the CEO of Crypto Bank, Silvergate. We are back in a moment. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Well, it is fair to say the crypto ecosystem has been put to the test this year, but that did not slow down, slow down Silvergate capital at all. Shares surging after the crypto-focused bank beat the street in their strong earnings report. And joining us now is Silvergate Capital CEO, Alan Lane. Uh, Alan, you can smile, man. You guys had blowout numbers. You had a big, there you go. You had big growth in your Silvergate Exchange Network, customer growth as well, even as crypto has kind of struggled the last couple of months. To what do you attribute that success and how interested still are your clients in crypto? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, our our customers um, are still very engaged in this e- ecosystem. And one of the, the things about Silvergate and the Silvergate Exchange Network is we are the regulated on-ramp and off-ramp from the traditional financial system into and out of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. We are institutionally focused. So we have over 1,500 clients who are cryptocurrency exchanges and institutional investors, many of whom trade the asset, whether it's going up or down. A lot of them like to trade the volatility. Um, however, when trading volumes are muted as they were in the first quarter, you know, oftentimes that, that leads to um, you know, kind of slowdowns in the business. Having said that, um, our customers are still very engaged. And as you pointed out, we added over 100 additional clients in the first quarter and now stand at just over 1,500 clients. You know, in 1869, Alan, we had that moment at Promontory Point where the Western Railroads and the Eastern Railroads, they finally met. They kind of had that golden spike and brought the two sides together. It feels like, as an outsider looking in, that we're kind of at that golden spike moment. You guys are a bank. You're a Federal Reserve member bank. Is this now, right now, the time when big banks, finance, old school Wall Street type stuff and crypto have their golden spike moment? 
Yeah, it's an interesting analogy. And, um, you know, we actually started looking at this space back in 2013. We opened our first account for a customer in the Bitcoin space. This was before all, you know, Ethereum and all the other tokens. We opened our, our first account for a customer in January of 2014. So we've been doing this now for eight years and we've been anticipating the broader um, financial market um, to pay attention to this. Um, you, you're absolutely right. It does feel like now is the time. Um, and I think we've gone, we've made a shift from where, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, people kind of scratched their heads if you were looking at, at Bitcoin and the broader cryptocurrency ecosystem. And now I think, um, you know, folks might be starting to scratch their head if you're not paying attention to it. Um, certainly people are paying attention uh, to Bitcoin, but I do think there are all these questions, Alan, about regulatory challenges ahead, especially with your focus on creating a stable coin based on those assets that you bought from Meta Platforms, what was DM. How much of a challenge do you think those regulatory changes could be? And why is a stable coin so essential for your future? Yeah, I appreciate that 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 question. So um, you can think about a stable coin as a tokenized dollar. Uh, we we all um, those of us that have smartphones, we're we're already used to transacting with digital representations of value. Most of the time, that's a credit card or a debit card. It might you know it might be attached to an app on our phone, um, but the settlement of that happens um, after the fact. Um, it, it can take um, days, in fact, um, for a actual payment to move from my bank account to yours, even though it might feel like it's instant. And so those days that, that it's taking, that's a, a, essentially an extension of credit um, until such time as it settles. The beauty of a stable coin is that it is instant settlement because the tokenized value moves across the Internet in real time, 24 seven. Um, you know, it, it is absolutely something that from a regulatory standpoint, we take this very seriously. Um, we've, uh, as I mentioned, been banking this ecosystem for the last eight years. We currently bank all of the existing regulated US dollar backed stable coins um, uh, that are offered in the United States. They all use our SEND platform, the Silvergate Exchange Network and our API capabilities to mint and burn their dollar tokens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we believe that the regulatory environment um, is, is such that regulators want to see this activity inside the banking system and not outside of it. Um, and that's what gives us confidence in our ability to launch a stable coin, hopefully by the end of this year. Alan, that was that was going to be my question. Uh, as you look ahead now, you're as Brian said, you're you're smiling today, but you've got you got a lot of work ahead of you this year. Anything you can tell us about that launch and uh, specifically what what partners you guys might be working with and what you picked up from Meta and if some of those deals are still in place. Sure. So we're not at a point where we can launch, um, announce any potential partners yet. Um, it's important to note that what we acquired was the DM protocol itself um, and the proprietary regulatory elements that sit on top of that, that give us confidence that we can issue a stable coin in a regulatory compliant, safe and sound manner, satisfying all of the regulatory requirements around know your customer, anti-money laundering, the Bank Secrecy Act, et cetera. Importantly, the, the DM protocol was purpose-built 
for payments. And where we really see the opportunity here is using a stablecoin for commerce and for cross-border remittance, whereas the existing stablecoins are primarily being used um, in the cryptocurrency ecosystem for trading, for potentially for DeFi, for purchasing NFTs, et cetera. That's not really where our focus is. Our focus is on using this for payments. And, and so um, the technology has already been tested. It is live in a pre-mainnet phase. Um, we were working with uh, the DM group last year prior to purchasing the assets. Um, and so we're confident in its ability to, um, to serve this use case. And um, we just have, you know, as you mentioned, a little bit more work to do this year, working with our regulators, as well as working with our yep. future partners to get this into the market. Well, Alan, the market's doing a little bit of work for you. Stock is up 7%. So solid tape today. Congrats on the results. Thanks for coming on Tech Check. Alan Lane, Silvergate Capital. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And you can get more content and context like this online by watching our digital show, Crypto World. It's available at CNBC.com daily at 3 p.m. Eastern. Tech Tech is back in a moment. More on Alphabet, IBM, and Netflix. Don't go away. Let's get a gut check on IBM. As Netflix falls, IBM is surging after it beat on the top and bottom lines. Their $14.2 billion in revenue beat expectations thanks to a 14% increase in cloud revenue. After a tough sell-off earlier this year, shares have now turned positive year to date. Check out that stock up 7.5% right now. And don't miss CEO Arvind Krishna breaking down these results on Closing Bell at 3 p.m. Eastern in a CNBC exclusive you don't want to miss. Stay with us. A look at Alphabet and Netflix is coming up next. All right, welcome back. We're actually going to take a step out of Netflix for a bit and do a dive into another fang name, and that is Alphabet. And it's all for today's edition of Undervalued, or overvalued. Now, on the undervalued side, the bulls would say, like Rosenblatt Securities, that they see YouTube holding its own against the rise of a TikTok, maintaining their user base better than rivals like Meta. And with an ad-supported business model, no one is as worried about subscribers plunging like a, I don't know, Netflix. But the bears on Alphabet would say Google's YouTube is just facing some of the same woes as Netflix and Reed Hastings after all. Increasing competition just the pandemic boost fades. Now, the good news for the bulls, Alphabet holding up a little bit today, down 1%, unlike Meta, Facebook, which is down 8%. Here's the key question, guys. Will YouTube's model, different from Netflix as it is, prove to be the right one? And will Disney, Apple TV, HBO, Discovery, you name it, soak up some of that YouTube watch time? Joanna. It's funny, I have been thinking a lot about YouTube in this Netflix conversation, and I haven't listed them in, you know, throughout the show, but that's, that's one I don't pay for, but I use a lot. And I'll tell you, I have kids, and, net, and YouTube is definitely becoming much more popular with the kids, in my house at least, versus Netflix. Maybe I go to Netflix to watch Coco Melon, but am I really paying $20 for Netflix to watch Coco Melon? I don't think so, not in the long term. YouTube, on the other hand, very sticky for younger users. I hear you on the TikTok, but it's it's still a different type of content. And, um, you know, they've, they've done some work also on YouTube to to really compete with TikTok. They've, they've rolled out shorts. I'm not sure that people are fully using that or as, as uh, immersed in it, but they, they have made some efforts. 
Yeah, we'll have to see what YouTube numbers, uh, Google Alphabet break out in this year's, this quarter's earnings. And of course, I just want to point out, just to bring it back to Netflix one last time, that it was one of the top companies in the S&P by market capitalization, and now it ranks 87th. So if you want more Tech Check on the go, follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download your podcast. Tech Check is back in a moment. All right, let's wrap it up with one more thing. And this is, dare I say, random but interesting. The biggest CEO pay package of last year goes to trade desk Jeff Green. Oh, he's been awarded an incredible $835 million package if, and there's an if, the stock had hit a number of targets that may not be hit. There's eight of them. But if they do, he'd become one of the highest paid CEOs ever, guys. Even more than Amazon or private equity firm KKR. So you may be asking, what is Trade Desk? It's an L.A.-based ad tech firm with a market cap of about $30 billion. Stock is about 40% off its highs. So Green has got some work to do to get the green, but no doubt one man not worried about inflation. There's so many places I could take this, but I have an idea. Because of the date, it's 420. I suggest Green gives $420 million to Elon Musk uh, today. He'd have to write that check today uh, for his Twitter fund. What, what do you think, Brian? <laughs> well, got to hit think those targets first. You got to hit those targets, but I also hit those think targets first. Okay, but today is a good day for him to maybe you know hit those targets. But remember, Netflix might need to buy some ad tech, so you have to wonder if there's some sort of purchase or acquisition there as we continue to follow this Netflix story. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.